this morning and talk about just, I want to say thank you. Uh, I'm a big local church guy. I love the local church. I believe in the local church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not come against it. And I truly believe that. I love the local church. And um, I was just reminded of that this past week. Um, one of the, I have a different perspective as a youth pastor because I get to see um, kids grow up and, um, and stay in the church, um, thankfully. We have a healthy group of kids that stay in the church, and we're very thankful for that. Um, not all of them, but a big group, and, and a lot of times they drop in on me, and it's just great to see them. And uh, Brody Goshen came in and saw me last week, and he's been in the military. This is his first time in service with us since he left for the military and went through basic and went through all the secret training, and um, now he's an international spy, and they're not, he's going by a different name, and they call him Shelly. And uh, so when you see Brody, call him Shelly. But he dropped in on me, and we hung out, and uh, went and had lunch. And, and then Mason joined us for lunch. And it's just a reminder of how important the local church is. Um, I had a student. Now she's in her 30s. Um, that tells you how long I've been doing this. She came last week with her husband and children to service. And, man, that's just a big deal. And the local church is so important. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that's ever done anything in the local church. Um, I believe it's going to stick around until Jesus comes back. I know it will. A lot of things will come and go, but the local church will stand. And I want to say thank you to everybody that's ever done anything, whether it be nursery, drive a van, whatever. I can go back to my days as a teenager. If there was, anybody, if there was a poster boy for the local church, it would be me. And uh, for, for some of you, that's, oh, that's terrible. But I, I'm a product of the local church. It took a while, but I'm a product of the local church. And there's, peop, there's men and women that are in this room right now that, they have no idea um, how big of a deal that they were for me in my life. And uh, I want to say thanks for that. And uh, just thank you for your continued faithfulness. And just encourage each and every one of you that um, to believe in the local church, to be a part of the local church. Whether you wash dishes or whether you preach from this stage, you're making a ginormous impact for the kingdom of God. I see it with my eyes. Um, I see it every day, especially on Wednesdays and Sundays. I see it in action. When, when, when I can, and I, I like to pay attention to details on Wednesdays and Sundays because a lot of times we look past services and, and we don't just pay attention to what God's doing. A lot of times we have this massive expectation of this altar is supposed to blow up every Sunday morning and revival is going to break out. And I praise God for those nights and those days, but it doesn't always happen like that. Revival breaks out in individuals on a daily basis. And when you as a Christian can open up your spiritual eyes and see that, when you can walk into the kitchen on Wednesday night at 5.45 and you can see a 12-year-old uh, student that's in this crazy culture and this crazy generation standing next to a 6-year-old grandma washing dishes together, I see Jesus in that. You might think that's weird, but I deal with these students, so I really see Jesus in that. And, um, and, I, and I, that's what I love about our church. It's multi-generational. There's grandmas, there's grandpas, there's aunts and uncles, there's moms and dads, there's sons and daughters. We have a full nursery, but we also, if you'll come on Tuesday night, we'll have a full young at heart, and they will party until the cows come home. So I love our church. It's multi-generational. And I just wanted to say that, um, just thanks for being a part of the local church. And uh, once again, visitors, we are a healthy church, but we're not a perfect church. And we have our issues just like everybody else. But connecting to what Pastor preached about last week with dealing with depression, and I hope that if you weren't with us last week, that you went back and that you listened to the man of God, uh, the handsome, ruggedly masculine, beautiful. Are you recording this? Okay, because I need to be in good standing when he gets back. Man of God that preached the word, dealing with depression. Um, local church is a big part of that. He, he mentioned how important it is to lean into one another and pray for one another. 
And I can't tell you how many times I have to do that. I have to lean into certain people in this church. And um, just, just for an example, I'll just throw this out there because it just it marked me. And it was just one of those days. Um, I went to go see Willard and Betty a couple months ago. And, and uh, of course, in their minds, they're thinking, I'm just going to come see them. And for me, I just need to lean into them because I don't know about you, but I enjoy being around people that's been around a while. And, and I, I enjoy being around people that's been married for over 40, 50 years. I enjoy being around a couple that's lived in the same house since the 1960s, and, and I just leaned upon them for two or three hours, and I'm sure they thought, oh, it's great, JoJo's coming to see me, it's so nice, and the whole time in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I need this, and I just sit there with no TV, no cell phones, no distractions, and I listen to the man and woman of faith, the faithful man and woman, not perfect, but people that have been faithful, not only to one another, but to their God, and I just allowed them to pour into my life. And those are the little moments as a local church that we have to remind ourselves of how good God is and how faithful he is. He will show up in the altars. He will show up at revival meetings, but he shows up every day in our everyday ordinary lives. Amen? Amen. I want to review real quickly. I mentioned pastor's sermon last week because I'm going to draw from pastor's message today. Um, and I want to just review. I've got, I've got his notes, um, about eight pages here of notes. I am going to sell them later. Um, because there's a lot of desperate preachers that have no anointing and they don't read their Bible, so they will pay good money for these kind of notes. Amen. That's another reason, uh, visitors, that you need to be a part of our church family because we love the Word of God and we love to study the Word of God and we love to talk about the Word of God. But I want to review just real quickly um, and just kind of conclude on what he left you guys with last week. Once again, it was dealing with depression and there was five points that he left us with, and I want to look at those real quick. Um, it was number seven in his notes, and it says, what is the cure? What is the cure for depression? What is the cure for anxiety? Uh, number one, he said, we must hope in God. Amen? We must hope in God. No matter what other things we do to get help, we must hope in God. God is our refuge, our help. Amen? Number two, we must be willing to get treatment. Yes, medical treatment. I was thankful that the, there was a man of God that stood on the stage that wasn't afraid to say that. A lot of men and women of faith are afraid to say that because they think that it's going to take away from their spirituality. Well, that's just ignorance and that's nonsense. Okay? God has created fantastic men and women of faith all across the world that have created some of the most greatest forms of medicine and the greatest forms of treatment to help us. Now, is there abuse in medicine? Absolutely, there's abuse in everything. But as he has in his notes, medical evaluation and, and even professional counseling, 80 to 90% of people who seek these treatments get better within two to three weeks. Amen? Number three, dealing with depression, what are the cure? Number three, be willing to change your lifestyle. Be willing to change your lifestyle. That's a biggie. Number four, and probably my favorite, daily devotion. And he wrote down here and he highlighted, it is a must. Daily devotion, it is a must. Like medicine, you take it even when you don't want to. Amen? The word, prayer, and worship. And number five, pray and ask for prayer support. And once again, that's what we did last week. He brought everybody down to the altar, and we prayed for one another. And that's such a big deal. Once again, it's showing you the power of the local church. Jesus said, watch with me. Um, he wrote down, don't give up. Seek the Lord in prayer. Ask others to pray with you. Uh, pray till the angels come. Jesus did. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't harm yourself for your harm. You will harm others as well. The angel will come. Strength will come. Our hope is in God. He is the health of our countenance. And then the last thing I want to draw from this as I go into uh, my message this morning 
And it's one of the last things he wrote, and he highlighted in green. He said, depression is real, but so is hope. Amen. Depression is real. Anxiety is real, but so is hope. Stand to your feet this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. The title of my message this morning is this. It's okay if you don't have it all together. I want everybody that can hear my voice to hear that. It's okay if you don't have it all together. It's okay. Whether you're 20, 30, 40, whether you work at a factory or you're a lawyer or you're this prestigious person in some high-dollar company or if, whether you're a youth pastor, whether you're a teacher, it's okay if you don't have it all together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I love Paul's word to the Corinthian church. Paul says, no matter who you are, no matter how weak you are physically, mentally, spiritually, God has called you for the sole, person, so the, for the sole reason so that he can receive the glory. Notice what it said in verse 28. Oh, sorry, verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom. He's the wisdom. Became the righteousness. He's the righteousness. And became the sanctification and redemption. He's those things for us. Aren't you glad? We have a world and a culture that's running rampant. It's crazy. It's fast-paced. Unfortunately, we have churches filled all over the Western culture of people that are trying to be wise, that are people that are trying to be righteous, they're trying to be sanctified, and they're trying to create some kind of redemption through their self, and the only place that you'll find those things is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I say that to say this, once again, it's okay if you don't have it all together, because he does, amen? Father, we bless your name. We sang about it. God, it's the name above all names. It's the name, Lord God, that... Father, the enemy, Lord, and the enemies have to flee when I say it. God, I thank you for it, and I pray as I have already prayed this morning and yesterday morning, God, that you would fill this place with your presence. Let nothing that comes out of my mouth be of me, but only the Holy Spirit, God. Father, I give you praise and I give you glory for who you are and who I am not. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. In our culture, you hear that word a lot from the pulpit, but in our culture, even to this day, and it's been going on for several years, is a model that God even spoke of in Samuel when he was referring to David and Goliath, and, and, and it was the model of, 
God said, listen, I look at the inside. But he basically said, paraphrasing, the world looks at the outside. We judge people on what they're wearing and how, uh, how neatly organized they're put together to decide on if they have it all together. Now, I was going to wear a suit this morning, uh, which I'm glad I didn't, but I, I, I'm just not a suit person. But I was going to wear one and, and wear it all the way until this point. And then I was going to go in my office and, and, and I was going to put on my overalls and what I usually wear at home when I'm working. But I didn't do that. But I was going to do that to make the example of, is there a difference between the man of God in a suit and the man of God in a pair of overalls? And, and that's where we're at as a culture. And to us, it sounds so trivial, but that's the way we function as a society. And unfortunately, that's the way we function in the church is sometimes we base on how people are by just what they look like. And that couldn't be anything from the truth. Amen. Pastor touched on that last week when he talked about the, the biblical association. Because a lot of times we think, well, depressed people have a certain look. I'm here to tell you that depressed people and people filled with anxiety and people dealing with mental things, they don't just have a specific look. They have a bunch of different looks. Some of them have it all together with their clothes. Some of them have it all together with their hair. Some of them have it all together with their bank account. Some of them have it all together with their home. But at the end of the day, there's a mixed bag of people in our country that are dealing with depression and anxiety and many other different mental things. Amen? And the Bible was no different. pastor named off several men, and he spoke, obviously, one of his favorite people in the scriptures, David, and he spoke about the giant killer and how, you know, for years, and, and even as a kid, you, you grow up, if you've grown up around the local church, and, and you hear uh, people talk about these figures, and we, we, we magnify these people that are in Scripture, and, 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 and unfortunately, a lot of times, instead of magnifying the God who used these people for His glory, we magnify those people. We act like those people were just perfect. We act like those people had it all together. And Pastor mentioned it. David did not have it all together. He was the giant killer one day, and the next day he's playing chase with Saul, right? He's feeling weak. He's hiding in caves. Elijah, the same thing. He's standing on a mountain one day, battling 450 bell worshipers, and the next day he's hiding, and he's dealing with depression. Mentioned Hannah. Pastor said Hannah's heart was bitterness of soul, the Bible said. Naomi. Naomi, Naomi once said in the scripture, call me bitterness for that is my life. These are men and women of faith that we read about that we can imagine in the theater of our mind that they are just have it all together and they're just super men and super women of God. Job. Job asked, why did I not die from the womb? The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. The man that said, though you yet slay me, I will trust him, also said, my soul is weary of my life. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I can connect to that as just a typical redneck human being in 2018. I can connect to somebody that I read about in the scripture that has faults and has failures and have days where their mind just ain't working right. Amen? I can connect to that. He mentioned Paul. Paul. You think about Paul. Wow building churches, missionary, doing all these things for God. Paul said, outside were fightings, inside were fears. We had no rest. He expressed that they were cast down. Paul, the mighty apostle Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, 
said they were cast down. He was dealing with depression. He was dealing with anxiety. Paul was a normal person just like me and you, thank God. Because I can connect to that. I can stand here and say, because of those men and women in the scripture, I can relate to, it's okay if I don't have it all together. And then pastor mentioned perhaps no greater identifier to the human plight than when the Son of Man said these words in the garden named Gethsemane, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. If there ever was an example that we could draw from in the scripture, it was Christ Jesus, amen? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I want to encourage you this morning, church family, because if we're all honest, every single one of us, no matter what kind of family tree you come from, no matter what kind of car you drive, no matter how spiritual you think you are or how spiritual your family is, at the end of the day, we've all dealt with this issue. And I'll say it again, and I'll say it probably a hundred more times before I'm done. It's okay if you don't have it all together. Because we serve the one that does. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 30. I could read a bunch of this, but we'll just pick up four or five verses here. Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot, the prostitute. You don't think Rahab was dealing with some mental issues? You don't think Rahab was dealing with some identity issues? The Bible says, by what? Faith. The harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Verse 32, and what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33, oh, get this church family, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Wow. Out of weakness they were made strong. Listen to what these weak, fleshly men and women of faith were able to accomplish even when they didn't have it all together, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and out of weakness were made strong. I'm here to tell each and every one of you that God wants to use you now. God doesn't put this spiritual timetable. We all know that we're a work in progress, and we will continue to be a work in progress until he comes back or until we die. Amen? But God wants to use you where you are exactly at right now. There's, God doesn't stand up there and say, well, you have to go through seminary, and then you have to go through four months of training with Pastor Brown. Then you have to go out in the woods of Prim for 40 days and 40 nights and fast, and then I'll let you be a Sunday school teacher. He doesn't say that. God says, I want to use you now. Because you're no different than David, you're no different than Naomi, you're no different from the mighty men and women of faith that we elevate to a place that we can't reach and we can't connect to them. He wants to use you just like he does those, Jimmy. Amen? It's okay if you don't have it all together. These men and women of faith didn't have it all together, but they had faith. They had faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? Listen to me. They, we live in a world, I'll go back to the outward thing because I see it all the time, and we've got to a place where the adults are sometimes worse than the youth, but we live in this outside world where all we have to do is look at somebody and say, they got it together. Married, two kids. You don't need more kids, by the way. Married, two kids. 
awesome van. They got it all together. I'm just using an example. This is not the truth. But internally, they're crying out for help. Are you with me? Are you with me? So we live in a world where if, if, if I was standing up here and, and I was wearing my overalls and my hat turned backward like I do when I mow the yard, and then I had somebody next to me that was a successful businessman in a suit, and, and, and you put us side by side and we took a vote and said, which one of these is dealing with anxiety and depression? Most people would point at me because of what I was wearing. When really it's the guy in the suit that seems like he's got it all together, but internally he's crying out to God. Because he's never been transparent enough to say, I don't have it all together. Because we live in a world that is just sucking us dry of how we can look and what we have to have. And, 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 and it's a stench in the nostrils of God. Amen? David, once again, go back to it. They went through the brothers. The brothers were studs. The brothers were in three-piece suits and drove Lamborghinis. And they just went one by, one by another and another and another. And, and they were muscular. And they went to the gym. And they had the bank account. And he just went through. The man of God just kept going through. And he said, how about that one over there? The one that looks like he's depressed and has a bunch of anxiety because his clothes are hideous and he's wearing flip-flops. How about that one? And we all know that was the one that should have been chosen. Because internally there was a faith. Internally, there was a faith that capsized the depression, that capsized the anxiety. And there was a man of God that knew he wasn't perfect, but he served a perfect God. I preached this message this morning with the main point, God wants to use you right now. Because there are people that look like they have it all together, but they don't. And they need somebody that might not look like they have it all together on the outside, but they got it together on the inside. They have something in them that that person that, stay with me, that that person that has it all together outwardly, they don't have the faith. But that person that looks like they've been through some junk. How many of you have been through some junk? That, they, they, they look at the person that's been through some junk and said, ah, I don't know if they can help me. Well, they hadn't spent enough time with that person to realize that inside they've got it all together because they serve an altogether God. It's hard for me to believe that in 2018 we're still at that place where we're basing things off of what somebody looks like or what kind of house they live in or what kind of car they drive. Some of the most faithful men and women of God that I know don't care about that stuff because they know what's inside of them. And they know that the person that looks like they have it all together needs somebody that doesn't look like they have it all together to speak Jesus Christ into their life. We have a city, we have a town. It's one of the most beautiful places in America. I truly believe that. Even to this day, even with the problems and the trials that we go through, you know I'm a local guy. I love talking about my city. It's my mission field. But if you're really transparent, you really get into the internal, internal things of Heber Springs, we got major, major issues. If there ever was a town that was more concerned about their outward appearance, it'd be Heber Springs. If there ever was a town that was more concerned about what you were driving and where you lived, it would be Heber Springs. There's people living in beautiful homes on the lake that are crying out for Jesus Christ to be spoken into their lives. Are you with me this morning? It's okay if you don't have it all together. Now I want to do something. I want to change the title of my message. Because I want to just get real, real, like really transparent. Because I'm, I love transparency and I just don't like to beat around the bush. Let's just get to it. The new title of my message is It's Okay to Smell Like Vomit. Everybody turn to the book of Jonah. Stay with me. Sorry, it's the youth pastor coming out in me. 
But listen, if we're going to get to the root of this, we have to be really, really, really transparent. I thank God for self-help programs. I thank God for 400, not really. I thank God for like 50-page books with a lot of pictures that tell me the 48 steps of how to be a better man. Those things are great, and I praise God if those things have helped you. But there's one book that I know of. There's one book that I know of that I can go to every single day. Whether I'm feeling like a mighty man of God or whether I'm feeling like the lowest of low, and that's the word of God. And I can read the word of God, and I can study the word of God, and I can be like Joshua when the man of God told Joshua, listen, man, I know you're scared. I know you're bothered about what's going on. But there's a couple things that if you do it, your life will change forever. Whether you're depressed, filled with anxiety, or dealing with whatever, there's a few things that if you will do it. The man of God told Joshua, get the word, read it, think about it, and apply it to your life. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Amen? That's what we're going to do right now. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It's okay to smell like vomit. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Aren't you, don't you love when the word of God comes to you in the quietness of night or the still of the night or even when you're reading the word or you're praying God just speaks to you it's not always like God is just sitting there with an audible voice but you know God's speaking to your heart it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing when you get in a quiet place it's amazing how much you hear God when you just shut everything else off amen so the word of the Lord came to Jonah the the prophet from the northern region of Israel and 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 the, the word of the Lord said verse 2 arise go to Nineveh that great city and cry out against it For there is wickedness, wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Now Jonah is one of us. Jonah's got an address in Heber Springs. Jonah is one of us. He lives in the hill country because this is what Jonah did when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Bible says he arose and he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He ran from the presence of the Lord. One thing about, I respect about Jonah, Jesus, I think, even applauded what Jonah did because the Bible says that Jesus, man, if you're going to sin, just sin. Don't just play footsie. Don't just be half in and half out with the church world and with the Jesus world. But if you're going to sin, just sin. So God, the word of the Lord said, Jonah, you go there. And Jonah said, I'm going to go there. The complete opposite. And I'm going to run. And you know what I love about that, church family? Because I could just stop right there. Jonah has a book, a whole book in the Bible about himself. Many people would elevate him to say, oh, this man of God. The first two verses says that God spoke to him and he ran the opposite direction. I can connect to Jonah. I can connect to him. Jonah's a man just like me and you. He's flesh. He deals with feelings. He deals with emotions. He deals with distractions that come into our minds. He deals with medical issues. He deals with with stress. He deals with depression. He deals with anxiety. And the Bible says that, let me paraphrase it, that he just did what a man would do and just went the opposite direction. Verse 3. Verse 4, I'm sorry. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Listen, when you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus will never stop running you down, running after you, pulling you and drawing you to the mandate, to the calling that he has for you. 
sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. God was trying to get Jonah's attention. Then the mariners were afraid. The sailors were afraid. And these were unbelieving men that, that served and worshipped different kinds of lowercase G-O-Ds. And the Bible says in verse 5, And every man cried out to his own God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. It was that kind of storm. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Does that sound like anybody we might know? Jonah is a type. He's not. He's a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Call on your uppercase G-O-D. It must have been one heck of a storm if a non-believer was telling the man of God, go call upon your uppercase G-O-D. We need some help. When we as men and women of faith will walk by faith every day, even the non-believers, when the poo hits the fan, guess who they're going to call? I'll never forget it. It was when God called me many, many, many years ago. And I called my mother and I said, Mom, God has spoke to me and I'm coming home. But I said, I'm concerned about all my buddies. I'm concerned about all my friends. I'm concerned about all those things. They're not going to be happy. They're going to be sad. And, and it's just going to break up what we got going. And my mom said, just do what the Lord has told you to do. They will come calling and about three out of those five buddies that I used to run with and party with and do all kinds of unforeseen things with have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I was one of the first people that they called. I was one of the first people that they called because they knew that I walked with the God. And these sailors were no different. They knew that Jonah walked with the God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish, verse 7. And they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on the man of God, Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. The equivalent of what we would say, I am a Christian. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this to us? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. The man of God in all his faults and all his failures and all his negative thinking and all his depressive state and all his anxiety about God calling him, he knew what the answer was. Throw me into the sea. And the creator of that sea and the creator of me and the creator of the storm will calm all this madness. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men roared, rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let, let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So now the, the unbelievers are calling out. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah 
What, imagine what that must have been like. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the Bible says the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Because the sinner, because the, the man that dealt with so many flaws in, our, in his flesh, because he heard, heeded the voice of God and knew what to do, and, the, and those people threw him in the midst of a horrible situation, the Bible says that the, the peace of God calmed those seas. But not only that, those unbelieving men and, people, men and women on that ship called out to the name of the Lord. It's okay to smell like vomit. God still wants to use you. Verse 17, and he wants to use you now. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Let's be reminded of this this prophecy. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. The scribes and the Pharisees are asking Jesus for a sign, as they always did. Verse 39, but he answered and said to them, Jesus speaking, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the, man, heart of the earth. Oh, how that is a prophetic semblance of what Jesus did, three days and three nights in that grave. Amen. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. A fish that was provided by God swallowed the man of God. Now the man of God is in the middle of a fish. Jojo, do you believe that it is a true story? Yes, I believe that it is a true story. If Jesus spoke about it, then I believe that it was a true story. So the man of God, who's just like me and you, who deals with issues just like me and you, is now in the belly of a fish. I would say he's in a pretty dark place. But the Bible says he prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Listen to this. A a, a saint of God hundreds of years ago said this. He that has Christ dwelling in his heart by faith, whenever he goes, carries his altar along with him and and is himself a living temple. As Jesus was three days and three nights pleading for us, Jonah was three days and three nights in that belly of that fish pleading for the people of Nineveh. In the middle of a fish, surrounded by seaweed, surrounded by just all kinds of bile, just a horrible, dark, smelly place. God still wants to use him. And this is what he said in his prayer. And you have to excuse me if I begin to weep during, I read this, every time I read this, I begin to weep because it connects to every one of us who is dealing or has dealt with depression or anxiety or a heavy weight on our shoulders. The man of God from the belly of the fish said, verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. He answered me. Even from a fish, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. You don't have to be at this altar. You don't have to be at that altar. You don't have to kneel like this. You don't, wherever you're at, you carry the temple of Almighty God through Christ Jesus. And all we have to do is cry out to the Lord. 
Because Jonah said, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. The Hebrew word meaning the abode of death. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Got out of the belly of this horrible family financial situation. My head feels like it's going to explode. I cried out to you and you heard my voice. Because there's still people that can't hear your voice. But they look like they have it all together. I still need you the one that doesn't look like they have it all together, but you have my voice going through your ears and you have that spirit living in you to go tell them about me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Listen to me, don't quit. That's so cliche. It's so, don't quit. You say, I've looked and I hadn't heard him. Look again. You say, I've been in my prayer closet and, and I've called out and I've cried out. I can't weep any more tears. Look again to your holy temple. Verse 5, the water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Church family, if you're saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life should look different. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, your life should look different. The sacrifice from praise came from his mouth, the Bible says. I love that. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. I will sacrifice with my voice. God, I don't have anything else to give. I feel like I have gone through a lot right now, but I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise with my lips. Be real transparent with you. I've never been stretched than I have in the last four years raising these children. I know I joke about it a lot, but it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. And we're going to continue to do it because i got to pass Pastor Brown. I'm at six. I'm going for seven. But there, there was days where I would be in the house and Ann might be at a volleyball game, or she's a very busy woman. I'm a very, we live a crazy life. Where I would just stop what I'm doing, and I would just call out to the Lord. And in that moment, listen to me, Christians. In that moment, I know and I knew that there was a promise if I just gave him that sacrifice in that moment. I knew that there was a promise in that moment of peace. I knew that there was a promise in that moment of calmness. I knew that there was a presence in that moment that he would just remind me of who he is in my life. And that's what Jonah was doing here. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 10, So what happened. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Instead of clinging to his circumstances, he clung to his Savior. Listen to that. 
Instead of clinging to his circumstances, he clung to his Savior. Even though he wasn't wearing a nice, super sharp suit, and even though he hadn't had a shower for days, and even though he didn't have everything that the world told him he needed to have, he clung to his Savior. And the Bible says that once again, God provided, and he vomited Jonah out onto dry land. But here's where the awesome, beautiful work of God really just explodes off the pages. Chapter 3. Once again, once again, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jojo, you don't know what I've gone, to, gone through from the time I accepted Christ to now. It's been hell. It's been, it's been a divorce. I've lost my kids. I've lost jobs. Ever since I got saved to this point, it's just been horrible. I heard from God that night when I accepted Jesus, my Lord and Savior, but things have been horrible. The Bible says that God spoke to Jonah a second time. God spoke to him a second time. And listen to me, God will speak to you a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, because he's got a greater calling on your life. And he's not looking for how you're going to present yourself. He's looking at how you're going to present your faith. Verse 2, arise, God said, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So this time, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. 120,000 people in an Assyrian empire of evil, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Wow. The man of God that didn't have it all together. The second time, because God is a God of chances and mercy and grace. He did what God told him to do. And he didn't go present himself in this fabulous, wonderful way. He didn't show up with a chauffeur with a beautiful, pretty Cadillac. He didn't, he didn't have bulletins printed out for him. He didn't have anything about a special speaker was going to come to Nineveh. He just showed up, the Bible said. And the Bible says he simply said one sentence, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the Bible says the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. That means even the kings. Verse 6, then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, this is what the king said, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to the uppercase G-O-D. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? One sentence. One sentence. But he made a decision to be used, to be used where he was at in his life. And potentially 120,000 people not only got their life right, but there was reverence. The king of Nineveh sat in sackcloth and ashes. The, he, he even told the animals to fast. He was that full of conviction. All because the man of God was willing to say, you know what, I've got issues. I'm taking a little bit of medicine, but I still know that the God within me is as powerful as anything else out there. And he's got a message that he wants me to proclaim to a lost and dying generation. Verse 10, 
Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. See, a lot of times we look at this story and we just think about Jonah and the fish. A bunch of people got saved. A bunch of people got their life right, all because one messed up, ain't got it all together, hillbilly from Heber Springs. Gave God a sacrifice of praise with his mouth. And God took him to go preach about a 10-second message, Jimmy, to the people of Nineveh. And there was such a conviction and such an anointing upon the man of God that the Bible said thousands of people got saved. I, I just believe that that can happen here. I just do. I'm going to keep saying it until it happens because I know it will happen. There's 200 and something people in this building right now. And I dare say three quarters of them, maybe more, have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I dare say the majority of us have dealt with some issues, some greater than others. But I dare say that we all have a call of God upon our life to reach the lost of Hebrew Springs with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And if God can use a man that was in the guts of a fish that smelled like vomit, that had ran away from God, and that dealt with certain issues, Larry, I dare say that he could use you to go speak to a factory filled with lost people and tell them about Jesus Christ and just simply trust in that message that you deliver. You say, well, what about chapter 4, Jojo? I know what happens in chapter 4. Read it. It's a reminder that Jonah's a man just like me and you. God just saved thousands of people because of his message, and then he goes and he starts pouting and complaining to God. I'm no different than that. I see great things with my eyes a lot of times. I'm, I'm, I'm able to be a part of some great spiritual things with my eyes, but then I might wake up the next morning and, and be controlled by that flesh, and I have to shake that flesh off and be reminded of who God is. And that's what God did to Jonah. He reminded him, listen, Jonah, it's nothing in you. It's everything in me. I have the ultimate grace. I have the ultimate mercy. Listen, I know lost people frustrate you. I know people on meth frustrate you. I know people that give up their babies because they're on drugs frustrate you. I know that people that don't get a job frustrate you. I know that the people that are just walking around town, just walking around town with no objective frustrates you. But those, all those people that I just mentioned have a soul just like me and you. And all those people need a Jonah in this church to confront them with the simple message that there's a God that loves them and that wants to do a beautiful work in their life. And if we will all do that, myself included, this city will be saved. This city will repent and this city will run to God in a wave that nobody has ever seen before. We see it in little pockets right now, but I want to see in a wave like Jonah saw the Nineveh. Amen? Aaron, join me on the platform. As Pastor would say, it's right at the noon hour. See, I love, I love watching those services on TV where everybody runs and shouts and Stands up and screams and hollers. I love that. But I ask myself sometimes, what's getting done for the kingdom? I think it's a fair question. 
what's getting done for the kingdom. Time, time doesn't care about any of us. It's 12.01 right now. It's going to be 12.02 in just a second. I can say don't go to 12.02, but it's going to go to 12.02. Every day, every week, every month, every year, we lose an opportunity to share the simple. Remember, Jonah said one sentence. Jill, he didn't have to go in and counsel and go from Genesis to Revelation. And, and, and all those things are great. But because the Bible says he cried out from the belly of the fish and he gave God a sacrifice of praise, God said, okay, it's time. And I know, I know that I, that I run this into the ground, but I've never seen Jesus like I've seen Jesus these last four years. Next weekend is my daughter's birthday. Really improve. Man, when I think of him, I don't have it all together. But Friday, their biological grandma and their biological great-grandma and their biological dad are going to come to my house. And have dinner. And then we're going to have a party Saturday and we're going to do it again Saturday night. And my heart aches for their souls. Plain and simple. My heart aches for their souls. But I know, and no matter what kind of week I have, no matter how many times I got to yell upstairs, no matter how many times I get that vein in my forehead, no matter how many times this week I mess up as a daddy or a husband, no matter how many times I mess up as a pastor, I know I have a message to deliver to the lost the broken and nobody can take that away from me or you and I want to end with this and I th can you did you put that in you can bring hope to the hopeless even when you feel hopeless you can bring hope to the hopeless even when you feel hopeless I'm thankful that my pastor stood on this stage last week and said it's okay. It's all right. And it is okay. But what, what's not okay? What's not okay? 
is when we have the spiritual cure to a community and we keep it to ourselves. That's not okay. I tell my teens all the time, if you're saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's a lot of sick people that need the medicine that you have. And if you don't give them that medicine, they're not going to get healed. They're not going to get well. There's a lot of lost people in our city. And they don't all live at the trailer park. They live in Eden Isle, in Red Apple, in some of the nicest neighborhoods that our community has to offer. There's churches filled with lost people this morning. I loved Brother Dawson's, Lexi's father-in-law's testimony, Shane. Brother Dawson preached a church for seven years and he wasn't saved. He was the pastor for seven years and the man wasn't saved. I met with a group of youth pastors that represented five different churches the other day. And it's, it's not, once again, the trailer park anymore. It's people sitting in the church. There's work to be done, y'all. And you don't have to be me. You don't have to be Lee Brown. You don't have to be Phil Brassfield. Because all three of those people I just mentioned have problems. Billy Graham had problems. Mother Teresa had problems. The next great evangelist will have problems. 30-year-old pastor who pastored thousands of people, beautiful wife, three boys, had problems. We got a great church. We got great resources. And we got great people to lean upon and sharpen one another. There's no reason why we can't lead the charge and go win every breathing person in this city for Jesus Christ. Amen? If old fish stinky Jonah can do it, we can do it.